God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But here's the problem. Many people who believe that Jesus died and rose do not feel that God loves them. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, I would guess if we were to ask Christians how many people actually feel and experience the love of Christ, many would identify with this and not feel that. Well, you know, every Christian knows something of the love of Christ. I mean, that's true by definition. But Paul uh, prays in the book of Ephesians that Christians will know more of the depth and breadth and length and height of the love of Christ. And uh, there isn't any Christian alive who could not know more of the love of Christ than we already do. So this is an ocean of which we have experienced only a very small drop. And uh, everything that takes us further into the knowledge of the love of Christ is good for our walk with God. We're beginning a new series today called Seven Words from the Cross, and we're looking at the demonstration of God's love for us, aren't we? Yes, and the first word that Jesus spoke from the cross is that marvellous word, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And here are these folks who've nailed him to the cross, and his love is reaching out to them. They're still hating him, and they're still cursing him, and they're still in antagonism towards him. And yet here's love. Christ says, love your enemies, and he practiced what he preached. Yes, and we're going to look at that today from the book of Luke, chapter 23, as we begin the message, praying for the person who causes you pain. Here's Pastor Colin. I have to tell you, with every year that, uh, that passes, I become more deeply convinced that the greatest privilege and the highest responsibility that I have as your pastor is to communicate from the Bible as clearly and as compellingly as I possibly can the love of God poured out for you and for me in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if the preaching of God's Word were to bring you over time to feel deeply that God loves you, then much good would be accomplished in your life. And that is my prayer above everything else for this series that we begin today. I've called this series The Full Extent of His Love. And that phrase, as you may recognize, comes from John in chapter 13, when the disciples gather with Jesus for the Last Supper, and John says, having loved his own, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And what follows is an account of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. And that, of course, was a beautiful demonstration of the love of Christ, his humility, his taking the place of a servant but John had much more in mind than the washing of the disciples' feet when he spoke about the full extent of Christ's love. Because as you know, the Last Supper led to Gethsemane and then to the arrest and trial of the Lord Jesus and then to the cross itself. And in all of this, Christ shows us the full extent of his love. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon on one occasion with this title. They had long titles in those days. And his title was, There Never Was Any Love That Could Be Paralleled With the Dying Love of Jesus Christ. That's true. 
That's Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, and pretty uh, most of us here in this congregation know this well. God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But here's the problem. Many people who believe that Jesus died and rose do not feel that God loves them. And maybe you can identify with that. You know about the cross. You know that Jesus suffered and that He died there. But it is not obvious to you how this is love. And even if it is love in some way, it is not obvious how it is love for you. And I want you to see in the cross of Jesus Christ the love of God poured out. I I want you to get to the place where you could look to Christ and look to His cross and say, nobody ever loved me like this. Nobody ever will love me like this, but Christ loves me like this, and I see here the full extent of His love. Now, our Lord Jesus spoke seven times during the three hours in which he was hanging on the cross. And each time that our Lord Jesus spoke, he revealed more of the full extent of his love. And so these seven cries from the cross are going to be our focus as we make this exploration of the extent of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for you and for me. We begin today in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23 and verse 34. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Before I read these familiar words, let me set the scene for you. Christ has been arrested. He has been tried before the Sanhedrin, and then before Herod, and then before Pilate. He has been condemned by Jew and by Gentile. Always remember that the world was united in its condemnation of Jesus. He has been rejected by the educated elite, and he has been rejected by the crowd who called for him to be crucified. This was probably the one occasion in history when politicians, theologians, and ordinary people were all on the same page. You think about that. Politicians, theologians, and ordinary people were absolutely agreed about this common cause that they had in rejecting the Son of God. And so Jesus has been scourged, He has been mocked, He has been beaten over the head with a stick. A crown of thorns has then been forced down onto His head, and now the soldiers set about their grisly work of nailing his flesh to the cross. Now, we need to see ourselves here, folks. It's not just about them there, it's about us now. All of us are involved. The nailing is what happens when what we want clashes with God. If we are to be free to live as we choose, which is what we hear all the time in our culture, isn't it? We have to be free to live any way we choose. If we are to be free to live as we choose, we have to nail the sovereign Lord to the cross. And we have to replace Him with a God, small g, that we can shape to our own liking. 
and the theologians and the politicians and the common people are all united in this. They all want the same thing. We want the power is with us, you see. We, we, we want to be the ones who make the choices. We want to be in charge. We cannot have a God who tells us what to do. So bring out the nails. The sovereign Lord must go on the cross. Ronald Wallace says, their work with hammers and nails speaks more eloquently about human sin than any other act in the whole crucifixion drama. As they nail Jesus, they are declaring in the name of all mankind that the only place this earth has for the Lord is on a cross. They are declaring in the name of all of us, we want an impotent, tied-up puppet God, small g. We do not want the free, sovereign, living God. And I say again that the theologians, the politicians, the common people are all agreed on this. For the politician, of course, Pilate, it is a matter of expediency. You know, what, what do I gain if I side with Christ? Uh, uh, what do I lose if I, I side with Christ? Uh, what are the crowd saying? Oh, well, it's pretty obvious what the crowd are saying, so he makes his decision. The crowd, of course, as crowds always do, manage to get the whole thing reduced to a soundbite. Amazing how crowds have the ability to, to articulate in a single sentence what's at the core issue, and they get it down to one sentence. We will not have this man to rule over us, is what they say. And remember that it was the theologians who got it all started, the Sanhedrin. I was preparing this message on Friday, and as I was working on it, the phone rang. And uh, it was a call from a friend of mine who's a pastor in England, and he told me about a mission that they had had in their church and how a number of students had been converted to faith in Jesus Christ. He said, it was wonderful. We've seen some remarkable conversions. And then he said to me, Colin, here's the thing. The person who led the mission has since been involved in a moral failure. And since that happened... He has completely changed his theology. My friend said, Colin, he said, it is so sad. And he said, it is so predictable. He's absolutely right. You see, if you choose sin and you will not repent of it, you have to crucify the sovereign Lord and you have to replace him with an imaginary Jesus who affirms whatever it is that you want to go on doing. So I say to you again, when we read about the, the hammer and we read about the nails, we are there. That's not just there then, it's, it's here now. The soldiers take their hammers and the long metal spikes and they nail the Son of God to this beam of wood, and they lift him up on this pole. Can you picture it? And they drop the pole into a hole in the ground that has been prepared. And then Jesus speaks for the first time from the cross. And he says, 
Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Praying for the Person Who Causes You Pain. We'll hear more from the first message in the series Seven Words from the Cross in just a moment. Now, if you ever miss a broadcast, do remember you can listen online at openthebible.org.uk. And while you're there, I hope you'll browse around and see the changes being made on the website. That includes making it easier for you to support the ministry. And when you give, the team are pleased to offer you a free copy of Pastor Colin's new book, Six Hours That Changed the World. In this book, Pastor Colin helps us consider the seven times that Jesus spoke from the cross, showing us what he did on the cross was a demonstration of his love for us. You can receive a free copy of Six Hours That Changed the World when you go to the website and set up a regular donation of at least £5 a month. Learn more when you go to openthebible.org.uk. That's openthebible.org.uk. If you joined us a little late today, we're in Luke chapter 3, so join us there as we continue the message. Here again is Pastor Colin. I want you to think about this with me. The men who nailed Jesus to the cross did not think that they were doing anything wrong. They did not have a bad conscience. They didn't feel they needed to ask forgiveness. They were committing the most terrible sin in the history of mankind, and they did not know what they were doing. Now, that tells us something of huge importance, and it's this. You cannot know what sin is from your own feelings about what is right and what is wrong. If you trust your own intuition, if you're the kind of person who goes through life saying, well, how do I decide what's right and wrong? You know, I go by what I feel. I, I, uh, that's how I decide what's right for me and what's wrong for me and, and so forth and so on. Listen, if, if you trust your own intuition to guide you in what is right and what is wrong, here's what will happen. You will sin and you will go on sinning without even knowing it. They do not know what they are doing. We need God to tell us what sin is because we do not know by instinct. That is why we need God's Word. That's why it's central in all of our worship. And we must not come as those who see ourselves over God's Word as if we were there to say where God's Word is right and where God's Word is wrong. We need to be under God's Word so that it tells us where we are right and where we are wrong. Otherwise, we do not know what we are doing. Paul says, I would not have known what sin is except through the law. That's Romans chapter 7 and verse 7. I wouldn't know what right and wrong is apart from submitting myself to the Word of God. That's the only way that you know. Now, what were they doing? They didn't know what they were doing. What, what were they doing that they didn't know? Let me answer that in, in three ways. What were they doing? They were shutting themselves 
out of a glorious heaven. That's what they were doing. Spurgeon paints a compelling picture here. He uses his imagination as he did so well, and, and he says, I see a pearly gate, and there's a man coming up to this pearly gate, and beyond the pearly gate, there's a whole world of light and joy and music and dancing. And this man comes up to the pearly gate, and he's hammering, he has some nails, and he has some wood, and he's hammering planks of wood across the gates to bar his own entrance. Now, Spurgeon says, what would you think of such a man? Shutting himself out. That's what sin does. Sin shuts people out from heaven. And if you could see the joy that sin spurns, you would not sin. Jesus says they, they do not know what they are doing. Here are men with a few short years on earth, and then they will enter eternity, and they are face to face in this moment with the Son of God who owns heaven. And just a few feet away, there is a man who has been a thief all his life, and he has been caught, and now he is a few moments from eternity, and because he's next to Jesus, he seizes his moment of opportunity, as we'll see next week. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But these soldiers, what are they doing? They're nailing the one who owns heaven to the cross. They are spurning grace. And Jesus says they do not know what they are doing. In every congregation, there are some folks, and that's exactly where you are, so I speak to you in this moment. You're perhaps a younger person, or perhaps an older person who've been here for many, many years, and you have become familiar with the gospel. But there is a deep resistance in you to the claims of Jesus Christ on your life. And so, although He owns heaven, you are barring yourself out. You do not know what you are doing. And if you could see the glory of heaven, you would embrace Jesus Christ right now in repentance and in faith. But there's more. Not only were they shutting themselves out of a glorious heaven, they were preparing for themselves an eternal hell. See, sin brings sorrow in this life, and it brings judgment in the life to come. And if you knew the sorrow and judgment that a sin would bring, you would not do it. Again, Spurgeon says that hell is drinking a cup of gall, every drop of which is distilled from your own sin. Drinking a cup of gall, a bitter cup, every drop of which is distilled from your own sin. See, God judges with perfect justice. And God's perfect justice means that nobody will ever be judged for a sin they did not commit. You can be absolutely sure of that. Nobody will ever be judged for a sin they did not commit. It means that the judgment for each sin will be proportionate to its weight 
in the eyes of God. That's in the eyes of God, not in your eyes, but in the eyes of God. And it means that every sin will be so punished. Nobody will be punished for a sin they did not commit. Every sin will be punished in proportion to the weight that it has in the eyes of God, and every sin will be so punished. What that means is this, that a person in hell would give anything to have committed one less sin. And I ask you to think about this. What is the hell that is prepared by the sin of nailing the flesh of the Son of God to a beam of wood? What kind of hell is prepared by that? No wonder Jesus said they do not know what they are doing. Shutting themselves out of a glorious heaven, preparing for themselves an eternal hell. And then the most obvious thing of all, what were they doing? They were crucifying the Son of God. They didn't know that either. Here are these soldiers nailing Jesus to the cross. They do not know who He is. Paul says in 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, if the rulers of this world had known that He was the Lord of glory, they would never have crucified Him. But here's what they're doing in their sin. They are crucifying the Son of God. Again, one more time, Spurgeon, who's so helpful here, says, every time a man sins, he aims a blow at the crown of God. That's very clear, isn't it? Oh, you may not ever say, you may never stand up in your life and say, I defy God. You may never do that. But every time you lie or swear or break God's law in any way, this is what you do. You aim a blow at the crown of God. It's what you do. You see, sin is much more serious than breaking a moral code. And this is why. It is an offense, it is an affront, it is an insult to Almighty God, your Creator, and that is what makes sin so serious. So, before we move on to the words that Jesus speaks to those in this dreadful condition, I want just to pause and make this application. When you sin, you do not know what you are doing. Now, I, I know when I say that, that sometimes we sin knowingly and sometimes we sin willfully and there's such a thing as sinning against the light. But what I'm saying is simply this, that whether a sin is intentional or unintentional, whether it was committed on the spur of the moment or whether it was planned and premeditated, if you really knew what that sin would cost and what that sin would bring, you would never have done it. And if you think about a particular sin in your life, you could not have known what you were doing because if you saw heaven and if you saw hell and if you saw Christ, you would never have done it. You didn't know what you were doing. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Praying for the Person Who Causes You Pain. We're going to pause here for now, but we'll continue next time.
This is the first in the series, Seven Words from the Cross, taking a look at what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what that means for you and for me today. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always listen online. Just go to openthebible.org.uk. And while you're at the website, I hope you'll take a look around at the changes being made, including making it easier for you to support the ministry. And this month, when you give, they want to send you a free copy of Pastor Colin's new book, Six Hours That Changed the World. And Colin, when we read this book, what do you hope we'll take away from it? Oh, well, I think the first thing is to see at a deeper level just how much God really loves you. I mean, the Bible makes this very, very clear. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's what this book is about. Six hours that changed the world are the six hours that Jesus suffered hanging on the cross, and it explains what he accomplished there for us. And, you know, here's the problem. There are many people who believe that Jesus died and rose, but they don't really feel that God loves them. And maybe you can relate to that. You you know about the cross, you know that Jesus suffered and that he died, but it's not very obvious to you how this is love. I mean, how is this God really loving me? Well, I want you to see the love of Christ in the cross and to see that this love really is for you. For you to be able to say, no one has ever loved me like this, and no one ever will love me like this. Jesus loves me, and in the cross, I see the full extent of God's love. Pastor Collins' newest book is called Six Hours That Changed the World, and it's a gift of appreciation to you for your support. Just go to the website, open the Bible, .org.uk and set up a regular donation of at least £5 a month and they'll send you a free copy of the book as a special gift. Again, that website is openthebible.org.uk People come in all kinds of conditions of heart to church and in your heart there may be a anger, resentment, bitterness towards God. I tell you, you may hate God, but God does not hate you. We'll look at why that statement can be said so boldly and so definitively next time.